Remain standing, if you would, as you open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians, chapter 3. As we've been making our way through this third chapter, Paul has just revealed, as we saw last week, that the prize for the believer is Christ. And everything that I do, every uh, effort that I make is so that I may gain Him, Jesus. If there's any other motivation behind us, if there's any other desire in our hearts, we have things askew, and we need to adjust and redirect our focus. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Everything that we do must have Christ in mind. And so as we saw that the believer's prize is Christ, and we uh, found in here the goal in, verse, or in chapter number 3, being uh, the goal of the believer being Christ, we were shown that the desire would be not just to have Christ and stop, but to gain more and more and more and to grow in this knowledge that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. If this is the desire, then it should be assumed that every believer's ambition would be to become more like Christ. If that is not our ambition, can I say this boldly but with all love, how dare we call ourselves... Christian. The term Christian simply meant Christ-like. And when it was first used, it was actually used insultingly. Look, they're little Christs. They reminded the people of this Jesus fellow. Let's take a look into the Word of God, starting in verse number 12 of chapter number 3. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, Let us mind the same thing, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an ensample. Father, speak to our hearts today, we beg. And Father, let this not simply be an empty prayer, but Father, that our hearts would truly be knit to you. 
Father, that we would be welded together with the person of Jesus Christ in such a way that our lives scream His very character. We pray, Lord, that You would inspect us this morning. We present ourselves before You asking if there be any wicked way that You would reveal it to us. Father, that You would create in us clean hearts. Father, for the believer, that You would renew that right spirit in us. Restore the joy of salvation. Father, for the unbeliever, I pray that You would burden their hearts today to know You. Father, for the one who may be wrapped in rags of religion, I pray that You would expose to their heart and to their mind the truth that they need a relationship and not just a bunch of actions. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In looking at this, I, I do want to draw attention, if you would please, to verses 14 uh, and 15. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. If you would keep your hand here in the book of Philippians and make your way back to the book of Galatians, just a couple books prior to this, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Look at Galatians chapter number 1. And I want you to notice the, the Apostle Paul refers to the high calling of God. And this is what's really going to springboard us for the remainder of this morning. This, this idea where he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And we need to understand that there is a calling of God upon the life and the heart of everyone who claims the name of Christ, who claims to be a believer in this uh, triune God. God, who claims to be born again by the blood, uh, blood blot, born again uh, believer, uh, who claims this, there is a calling upon their life. And it is the same calling for you as it is for me. Some may say, well, pastor, you're called to be a preacher. You're called to be a pastor. And I'm not called to be a pastor and a preacher. So our calling is not the same. Stop for a moment. The way I, I perform my calling may be different than the way you perform yours. But your calling and my calling is the same, one and the same. It is the same calling that the Apostle Paul had. If you would look in Galatians chapter number 1, he's talking about his personal experience, his calling. He says in verse number 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Now we have looked at this whole tradition idea and the way he profited in the Jews' religion. We looked at how he persecuted the church in Philippians. He goes through this as you're reading the pedigree, so to speak, of the Apostle Paul. Here in the book of Galatians, he brings it up as well. 
Now, he lets us know this is what I was, and then something took place, and the gospel came uh, to light in my mind and in my eyes and, and in my heart, and something happened. And look at verse 15. He says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul just said, Hey, I was called by God. And some may say, well, Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentile. Paul was called to be a missionary. Paul was called to be a preacher. Paul was called, no, stop. Let's look at what he says he was called unto. Look at verse 16, to reveal his son in me. That's the call. If you were to follow up in verse 16 with what else he is separated unto, look what it says. He called me and he separated me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach. Preaching was not the call. Preaching was the way the Apostle Paul lived out his calling. And the question you and I must ask ourselves is, what has God called us to? God has called us to revealing His Son in our life. And so then, from that moment, we take a look at how I fulfill that calling. This is what I refer to and many refer to as your personal doctrine of creation. Why were you made? Some believe that they were made to be uh, a, a businessman. Some believe that they were made to be a, a father. I, I know I was born for this purpose. I was born to bring joy to the, uh, to, to the life of my children. I was born to bring joy to my spouse. I was born to be an athlete. I was born to be a businessman. I was born to be a teacher. I was born for this purpose. Wrong. You and I were born to reveal Him. The question is, how? Your personal doctrine of creation as far as, well, I have certain gift sets and certain abilities, Pastor. So because I'm a good businessman, that, does, that, that means I am not revealing his son in me. No, that's not what I said. That is the how. I am a pastor. I am a preacher. I reveal his son in me while I preach, while I teach, while I pastor. I try to the best of my ability to reveal his son in me. I'm a husband. And so that is the how that I perform the what. The what is revealing his son. And so how do I uh, reveal his son to my wife? How do I reveal Jesus Christ to other husbands who may look to me to see, well, how does the pastor treat his wife? That is the how behind the what. I'm a father. And so I need to reveal my, uh, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to my children. That is the how behind the what. Paul put it very plainly, I was called to reveal Jesus Christ. I think there's a lot of times where we get in our minds, well, certain parts of the Bible are applicable to me and certain parts are applicable to pastors. Certain parts are applicable to uh, missionaries and, and then the rest of us, we get to pick and choose what we, go, what we go by. No. No. The Word of God is not a buffet. 
The Word of God is a feast. Now, a lot of people, they, they like to go to buffets because it's like, well, you know, um, he likes steak, I like chicken, and, and the kids like macaroni and cheese. And, and, you know, so we go to the buffet because everybody can get what they want, right? Not me. I go to the buffet because I can't decide between chicken and beef. And I get both. I can't decide. My wife says, do you want Chinese food or do you want Italian? Yes. <laughs> take me to the buffet, baby. And let me line up. Just, just step aside, folks, because I'm going to take about a two-hour coffee break between rounds. I will put all you can eat to the test, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Just go ahead and bring in a lazy boy because I'm going to be here a while. That's the attitude we ought to have when we come to the Word of God. It ought never to be, well, let me pick the parts that I like. And, whoa, you know, I, I, really, like, I really like John. And, and, and I like, I like uh, what, what James has to say. Well, that's probably a bad example. Most people don't like what James has to say because it's pretty in your face and tough, isn't it? Well, I, I, like, I like the love part. I'm not a big fan of when he tells me. Too bad. The Word of God, all of it, shows in us the things that we need to change. When I see the type of husband Solomon was, the wisest man... He had that many wives. <laughs> I look and I go, dear Lord in heaven, please don't let me be that kind of husband. Please. When I look and I see the type of father King Saul was, I say, oh, look at the things that I have done to my children. And I see in Scripture example after example. That's what I love about the Word of God. The Word of God is wide open as far as the bad part. It doesn't just show you the good stuff. It lets you see the bad parts. It lets you see the mistakes. It lets you see the errors of these people. It lets you see Noah being drunk. It lets you see Abraham lying. It lets you see all these bad things. You know why? Because you and I now have a way to relate. If God can use them, He can certainly do something in my life. This is a beautiful thing about the Word of God. And we've got to understand that if my calling is to reveal Jesus Christ in my life, then there is something that is expected, and rightfully so. I can slap a fish on my bumper. That doesn't mean I have revealed Jesus Christ. <laughs> One of my favorites was God is my co-pilot you know I'm sorry but I don't want him co-piloting anything <laughs> let him take control but you know that's the way most live their lives I'm still in charge and Jesus is just going to help me wrong Either he's in charge or you're in charge. There is no team effort in this. 
And I have got to get that in my uh, into my mind and in my framework. And so as I look at what we're what we're getting into here today, I want you to notice that there is a call here in the, in the book of Philippians of moral perfection. Now, this is one of those things. Oh, great the pastor's going to tell us all the things we've done wrong and how we ought to be perfect. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Now, I want you to catch this for just a minute. The Apostle Paul puts a very even-handed approach to this. But we don't like certain words. We don't want to hear we're supposed to be a certain way. We want to hear we're okay the way we are. I don't know about you, but as I have examined all the different things that are taking place I'm blown away at the surprise and shock of it all. If we were to just think for a moment about the way our world has driven God's name through the mud, the way this country has made a mockery of being known as a Christian nation, The way preachers stand in the pulpit and promote lies and fail to present the truth. And we wonder why we're going through what we're going through. (laughs) We kill thousands a day, innocent lives. The world winks at sin, excuses it, and we wonder why God might be a little upset. The majority of our entertainment insults the very idea of believing in a God that is holy. We can't watch streaming TV or network TV for any amount of time without being offended. And if we're not, that may be another conversation for another day. Because of the blatant sin of our world around us. We have become so desensitized today that when Paul says something about being perfect, we get mad. Well, nobody can be perfect. Don't talk to me about being perfect. You're not perfect, preacher. So you can't preach about that. Paul said he wasn't either, and he did. Why? Because it's truth. I'm not the best husband in the world. But it does not stop truth being truth. It does not stop me from preaching Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm not a wife. I never will be a wife. And I don't care what the popular culture says. It ain't possible for me to be a wife. Because I'm a man. But it doesn't stop me from preaching from Ephesians 5. Wives, see that you reverence your husband. Why? Because it's truth. 
I want you to take a look at several things in this passage. If you were to examine verses 12 through 14, Paul uses the analogy of running a race. Notice what he says. Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul gives this analogy of running a race so that he can describe this life, this Christian life that is striving forward in progression toward Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something with this. Whenever we become satisfied with what we have, we stop seeking more. Have you ever noticed that? Going back to the analogy of the buffet because I love food and everybody's going to get hungry and probably start leaving early. I, go, I, I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but I, I usually survey the buffet before I start. I, I go to one end and I walk down the line going, yeah, that looks good, that looks good, that looks good. Oh, he just sneezed. I'm not eating that. That looks good. That look, Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how far that sneeze guard is. Those little guys, they're right aiming straight at it. <laughs> Ain't eating that one. It's kind of like when people go to the restroom and then they come out and you did not hear the sink running and they want to shake your hand. It's like, <laughs> COVID. Social distancing. I go through and I survey. And a lot of times I'll go, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to get that. 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 And then I go through and I make my first plate. And then I make my second plate. Then I make my third plate. We're going to preach on gluttony next week. And And then I find that I'm full. And you know how it is, you, you know, you loosen up, you get that next belt notched down, you know. I can make room. And then you, you get to the place where I just can't eat anymore, and then your wife shows up with a piece of cheesecake. You're like, oh, I missed the cheesecake. Oh. You see, the Apostle Paul talks about running a race in a way to where he is never satisfied until he gets to the end. I think there's a lot of people who are just simply satisfied being a runner. And they show up and, you know, you, you watch the Olympics. Just watch the Olympics sometimes. You got these guys, they're out there, they're running for all they're worth. You don't have one guy going... Everybody else just darting down. <laughs> Hi, Mom. I just, I'm happy being here. I'm just going to go for a walk while everybody else is trying to win the gold. But you know, there's a lot of Christians today. That's the way they run the race. Oh, I, I'm just happy being saved, preacher. Growing into the image of God anymore today? Nope. <laughs> but I'm saved. And I'm happy about it. The Apostle Paul's idea was I press toward, I run with everything that I've got. When we become satisfied 
with what we have, we stop seeking more. Can I ask you a question today? And you ask this in your own heart of hearts. Have you become satisfied and stopped seeking more of him? Oh, I got saved back in 19 aught. And I've been happy with it ever since. Got as much as I'm going to get of him that day, and I'm not going to get any more. And I'm okay with that. No. I want to learn something new day after day after day, moment after moment. And, and people talk about, well, are we going to learn in heaven or are we just going to know everything? I, I, I don't like to diminish my God to the place where once I enter into heaven, I know everything about him. My God is so great. If you can, if you can compare eternity to time, it would be like this. I go to bed tonight and, and, and in the morning I wake up and I learn something new about how great my God truly is i sleep i go the rest of the day just reveling and just uh, in in, in awe and wonder about how wonderful he is and just wow i can't believe this is something so amazing and then i go to bed that night on cloud nine and i wake up the next morning and i learn something new about him and i go the rest of that day just in awe and in wonder about how wondrously glorious he is and then the next day i learn something new if you can compare eternity to time that's my idea of how wonderful god is And guess what? Jesus said, I come to prepare a place for you. That is here. That is now. You can enjoy that type of a life right now where guess what? Today you're going to learn something about Him and you're going to go home and you're going to be blown away by how wonderful He is. And then tomorrow morning, guess what? Learn something new. This is the life of the child of God. He says, I press toward the mark. He doesn't say I run on Sunday and then take a break on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm running. The word for run is seen in the imperfect tense, meaning it is not completed. This is a constant progression. If you were to flip over to uh, chapter 4, verse 11, He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul is not saying I am not content with Christ. He is saying I want more of Christ. This is not about contentedness. This is simply a matter of hungering for more and more. Let's let's take this to a physical example. My wife and I, we got married June 10th, 2006. And let's say that, and those of you who are maybe, uh, oh, the pastor's got its ring off. I bent my ring pretty bad. And uh, it hurt. (laughs) I ripped my finger off. And uh, I got to get it fixed. And so my wife ordered me a new one, and I'm waiting for it to come in because... Lord forbid that COVID-19 would allow people to repair jewelry during this time. But let's say that June 6th, 2006, I put a ring on my wife's finger. And I said, well, she's mine. Don't have to learn anything new. (laughs) It's enough. (laughs) Let's go home, babe. (laughs) You can have that side of the house. I'll take this side of the house and uh, let's just see what happens. (laughs) Any of you ladies be okay with that? <laughs> no. He never talks to me. 
He doesn't care. Why do we think it's okay for God? Or, I, you know, I learn of Him on Sunday and then I just go the rest of the week doing my own thing. Why do we think it's okay in our relationship with Him, but it's not okay in our relationship? Eh, I know. Oh, you're meddling now, preacher. Well, maybe. But look at the second thing in this. There's no past longing that he talks about. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. There's no longing for what was. Oh, I miss that. I miss being... No. It is constant forward progression. You've heard probably the analogy that if I'm... If I'm in the Christian life, there's either forward progression or backward progression. And people are like, well, no, I didn't start going backwards, I just stopped. Well, here's the thing. Jesus says, follow me. You catch that? Follow me. Tim, can I use you as an example for a second? Come up here, please. When Jesus said over and over again, he says, follow me. This is Jesus, folks. All right. And Tim, a.k.a. Jesus, is going a certain direction, and he calls me, he says, follow me. Say it, say follow me. Follow me. All right, you're going. And I'm following him, but then I decide to stop. Guess what? He's getting further and further. That's good, Tim. And so you get this idea where people say, well, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. Now, I'm, I'm breaking all the rules here, aren't I? Check this out. If he's going forward and I'm standing still, am I following him? If he's going forward and I'm standing still, is he supposed to stop? How dare we tell Jesus, stop and wait a minute? Thank you, you can have a seat. This is the way many Christians live their lives. And Paul says, no, I forget the things which are behind it, and I press toward the mark. Jesus' call is a call to follow, which means looking ahead. I love playing follow the leader with kids. (laughs) You ever done? And then you just watch them. Now, when you're the leader, it's hard. You know, you go, uh, you start to tilt this way. You start, but you just get one of the other kids to be the leader, and then you get in the back of the group and just watch the other kids. And you got the kids there following the leader. The, and then you got the one kid that's doing this the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I don't think the leader's doing that. The leader's got his arms out here, and yours has his, you know. That's the way many of us follow the leader. And we start looking over this direction. Have you ever watched that before? Have you ever? I, I love it. You, you just park in a parking lot sometime. I like to, you know, I like to go and I'd, I'll drop Sarah off at the store and I'll just sit in the parking lot and I just people watch. And my favorite is when you get this, uh, this person coming out of the store doing this number. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Christians living their life that way too. 
We have to follow Him. Which means we put our focus where He is. We watch what He's doing. We learn of Him. We become more like Him. If I'm focused on this over here, that over here, if I'm not paying attention in my life to what's going on around me based on the Word of God, then guess what? I'm going to run into some pretty big roadblocks. I want you to notice something else here. He is future-focused. This is not, oh, tomorrow's a better day. No, 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 no. It's how am I going to be more like Him tomorrow? How am I going to be more like Christ tomorrow? What is happening in my life today that can make me more like Jesus tomorrow? A lot of times we get so focused in on the bad things that are taking place around us that we lose sight of the God who is still in control. Lord, there's a big problem ahead of me. And I don't know what to do with this, but I know you're going to use it to make me more like you. That ought to be our hope and our prayer. He says, this is the one thing. Notice that? He says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This one thing trumps all else. Notice verses 15 and 16 with me, if you would. He says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. What's this talking about? This is talking about like-minded perfection. Now, we need to explain this term perfection before we go any further. The, the Greek words that are given here are not the same words. If you look there in verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And then in verse 15, he says, Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Now, these are two separate words. Uh, it's the same root word, but it's used in a different sense. And so, let's say, uh, I, let's, let's use the word walk as an example in the English. I am walking. I walked. Pretty simple, right? So, the perfect tense would be, I walked. It's done. It's a completed act. The imperfect would be where I am walking. I am in the process of doing it. These two words here in, uh, in verse 12 and verse 15 are the same way. Verse 12 is, is to complete. The word for perfect simply means complete. In other words, I am not finished. That's what he's saying. I'm not sinless, in other words. But there in verse 15, where he says, as many as be perfect, it is the word complete in the sense we have a, uh, 
we have become mature. Now, you know what it's like to watch someone grow and they become more and more mature at the older that they get. And there are some young people you look and you go, oh, that's just a mature young man. That's a mature young woman. That doesn't mean that they have completely matured. But that they're a whole lot more mature today than they were yesterday. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Let's, let me see if I can give it an, an example this way. One of my favorite uh, books to read to kids was that Very Hungry Caterpillar. Munch, 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 munch. And the Very Hungry Caterpillar stopped being a caterpillar when he became a chrysalis or a, in a cocoon. So he got himself wrapped up in the cocoon. Did you know that once he enters that cocoon, if you take him out of that cocoon, he does not go back to being a caterpillar. He dies. There is no going back to being a caterpillar once you have entered that stage of being in the cocoon and you are now a chrysalis. You have this, this, uh, this transformation that takes place and is taking place. And the idea that the Apostle Paul gives here is that those who are in Christ don't go back. Don't go back to being what they once were. Just as the caterpillar, when he enters into being a a chrysalis, he enters into that stage where he is now transformed and being transformed is, is like the idea of justification, sanctification, glorification. Salvation is threefold. Let me explain what I mean by that. When I get saved, the moment that I truly place my heart and my trust in Jesus Christ, I am justified. This is something that is uh, set out in Scripture. It is something that is settled. I am justified. Them He justified. It is God that justifies. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? Because we are justified, made right. From that moment on, I go through the process of sanctification. Justified, I am no longer the caterpillar. While I am going through the process of sanctification, I am making my way toward the day when one day, when I am with Him in eternity, I will be glorified. That's the third aspect. I don't believe sanctification being a second work of grace, and once I'm sanctified, then I am saved. No, 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 no. that's not what is what, what it's taught in Scripture. Justified, now I'm being sanctified, then I will be glorified. And the Apostle Paul is making reference to being mature in your sanctification process. Moral perfection is a deliberate progress toward becoming more like Christ. Let's say it this way. How do you know if you're mature, pastor? Is your aim to become more like Jesus Christ? That's a sign of maturity. If you're kicking and screaming because I want my place, that's not a sign of maturity. They didn't sing my song. 
That's a mature Christian. They didn't do the ministry I wanted. (laughs) They put us in chairs. Come on, you've been there with, if if you've never had that, come on, you you either haven't been a parent, you haven't been working in kids' ministry, come on. (laughs) And if you're looking around going, I don't know anybody like that, probably you. (laughs) Mine's the pastor always got a pick on me. But knowing there are good examples also assumes that there are bad and mediocre ones. Look at what he says in verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Notice what Paul says there. Paul gives us the best way to ensure forward progression that we look for the correct examples. In other words, I look for those who are, uh, are morally mature, and I try to pattern myself after them. I don't look for someone that I like to pattern myself. I look for the person that's difficult to pattern myself after. Oh, my goodness. I, there's Wow. That man is a... Is a godly man. That woman is a godly woman. You know, one of the one of my mentors was a woman down at uh, uh, Grace Baptist Church. Probably one of the godliest women I have ever known. And I would purposefully put myself around her. She and my wife became very dear friends, and I'm so thankful for her impact in mine and her life. But if, let's just be honest. If I, well, do you think you'll ever be a, have a have a prayer life like hers? There's no way my prayer life could ever be as good as hers. So I'm going to put myself around her. You know, I my dad used to tell me whenever we were talking about athletics or something, he's. You know, you get upset when you go play against, you play ping pong, or you play pool or something like that with somebody, and they're always beating me, my dad would say. You don't get any better by playing people you always beat. You get better by playing people who are better than you. This is the way it is with Christianity. If I want to grow closer to Him, I'm going to surround myself with people who are even closer than that. I'm going to put myself in the company of folks who are pressing toward the mark. It makes no sense that I would get into a race and all the racers are running that way except for this one guy who's over here on the side. And I go, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to hang with you. You know what that lets me know? It lets me know that my aim is the same as his. While theirs is winning. This like-mindedness that comes into play there in verses 14, 15, 16. He talks about being like-minded. That means you and I run the same race for the same prize, the same time, 
Listen, I can, I can come together and unite with someone who I disagree with in many ways. I mean, my goodness, Jeff likes the Patriots for crying out loud. He needs to check his doctrine of creation. But guess what? Our goal is the same. And so even though he's a Patriots fan, we are like-minded. And I'm okay with that. We've got to stop looking around and accepting what is simply good. We need to learn to follow after what is best. And so many in today's Christianity are happy with what is good and not striving for what is best. Well, how, how, how do you mean? Well, there's a lot of preachers on TV today. Well, they're preaching Jesus. They're preaching Jesus and that's good, right? But is it the best? Well, it's better than nothing. That's what we do. That's our mentality, right? It's better than nothing. Oh, at least they're going somewhere. I remember talking to a man one time who, before he was ever saved, he used to sit down every... He'd set his clock, and he would wake up every Sunday morning even no matter how drunk he had gotten the night before, no matter how uh, his life was the day before, he would set his clock, wake up to watch Jimmy Swaggart and would pray the prayer that Jimmy Swaggart told everybody to pray. He did it every Sunday morning. Was no more child of God than, than the chair you're sitting in. Why? Because he was settling for what was good. But then one day... He met Jesus. And he said, I'm not settling for what's good anymore. I want what's best. We've got to stop accepting just what is good and start striving for what is best. Too many choose to follow after someone simply because, well, hey, you know, I've watched this guy on TV and I've listened to this person's music and, and oh, they started talking about Jesus now. So that's pretty good. So let's just go down that road. No, 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 no. Follow after what is best. Can I ask you this morning? Paul set the bar pretty high. He said, follow after those who are mature. Not that athlete that just started talking about Jesus because he had a near-death experience or because he started to become unpopular and wanted to start becoming more popular again. He said, follow after these. He set the bar high. Can you examine your life this morning? Are you following after Christ-likeness? Or are you settling today for worldliness? There's many today who are settling. Well, it's... Yeah, it, 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 it kind of looks Christian. 
It, 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 it kind of Christ-like, isn't it? I don't want to follow after what is kind of. I want to seek after that which is morally perfect or complete. Perfection is not to be ignored, but pursued. I I grow tired of people excusing themselves. I'm not perfect and I never will be. That's what Paul said. He says in verse 12, he says, not as though I've already attained. Either we're already perfect. I'm not perfect. But this one thing I do is I strive for perfection. I press toward the mark. Most of us will, will, will say, well, I'm not perfect and there never will be, Pastor. And we're okay with that because that's where we like to stop it. But what Paul says is, I'm not perfect, but one day when I'm in his presence, I will be glorified. I will be perfected. And I take every ounce of my being while here on earth to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I want to be more like him. I'm tired of sitting around saying, I'm not perfect and I never will be instead I want to pay I want to take my life and say I'm not perfect but I'm trying to be people need to understand Christians aren't perfect but we serve a perfect God and we're doing the best that we can we should be doing the best that we can to reveal his son in us Is there something today that you would examine in your heart of hearts and you would say, you know what, this about me is not revealing Christ. There's this part of my life that is not... Now, I'm not saying examine the whole life, make yourself a big list, and be perfect next week. When we all come back next week, everybody's got their homework. You've got to be perfect. You've got seven days to get it accomplished. That's not what we're saying. Examine your life. One thing that's on your mind right now. This one thing I have allowed to be more important than the one thing Paul talked about. Pressing toward the mark. And right now, I'm going to give it over to God. Right now. I'm going to put it in His hand and I'm going to say, God, I've failed in this area and I want You to help me with it. Put people in my path. Find someone who will help hold me accountable to be more like Christ in this area. My mouth has been a loose cannon. My anger goes in, in, in wild. Uh, my, my jealousy or my lack of forgiveness or, or whatever it may be. Lord, I don't want that to show the people of the world. But I want my struggle with that to show the people Christ. You know, church, the the world is watching you. 
you put a fish on your car or something, wear a hat with a cross on it, put one dangling around your neck, whatever it may be. Just the very fact that you're here this morning, guess what? The world is going to watch you. You went to church, huh? Let's see what kind of Christian you are. Are they seeing someone who is like, well, (laughs) I'm a sinner. Shucks. Or are they seeing someone who is trying to be more like him? Ah, I fail, but I'm getting up. Look, the fall's not the problem. Get up. You're going to fall. It's going to happen. What do you do after that? You stay there? Or do you get up and keep pressing toward the mark? Father, many of us today, Lord, are struggling to just get through today. Father, sometimes we don't understand how we can even try to resemble your Son. Father, we know your Word says that we are called to follow your Son. And so that's what we desire to do. We desire to run the race with patience. We desire, Father, to keep our eyes on Jesus. We desire, Father, to be more like your dear Son. Lord, for the individual here today who does not know you as their personal Savior, for whatever reason they've been putting it off, they've been delaying, they didn't want to, uh, they, they didn't want to do certain things, didn't want to be a certain way or whatever it may have been, didn't want to give up something. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon them a hunger and a desire to know you. Father, for the individual who has been saved, born again by the Spirit of God, but has stopped pressing toward the mark. They become satisfied with just enough. I pray, Father, that today would be a day where they would have their hunger renewed and that they would come before you. They would seek hard after thee. I pray, Father, for the individual who has been running the race, maybe even for a long time. They've seen victories, they've seen failures. But, Father, maybe they're running out of gas. I pray, Lord, for an encouraging moment in their heart this morning where they are reminded that you are so worth it. We pray these things in your Son's name.